just going back to some of our questions, um, in addition to spoken poetry, um, are there other things that you do currently to maintain your mental health? Yeah, I think also like from my time in therapy, I kind of have like a toolbox of coping skills. Some of them are like the, the nice flashy ones that you get in like therapy worksheets, like, um, like expressing creative, creatively poetry is one of them, like taking a nice relaxing bath. Then some of them are like, maybe not so like, for like when we think of self care for like mental health, it's very easy to be like, Oh, like yoga and bath bombs <laughs> and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. sometimes honestly, self care for me is just eating like some ice cream at late at night and watching Netflix and like turning my brain off. <laughs> Definitely. I relate to that. <laughs> I, I think like it, just from what I've seen in myself and from the people around me, like everyone's so exhausted right now, but we feel mm-hmm. like we can't give ourselves a break. Like we're stuck in this, this idea that we just need to be working all the time and that if we're not working, we're doing something wrong, but that's not, that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy. And like, w- once we let go of that, I think that's when we ironically begin to actually become more productive instead of being trapped in this like vicious cycle of self-flagellation. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I think we're so focused on productivity and being like, I don't know, like hustling 24 mm-hmm. seven, that it's, it's a little toxic sometimes because people always are in that mindset instead of taking care of themselves. Cause it was like a workshop led by like one of the staff who I like was very close with. I was like, like, I'm just going to try it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really great because like it, it, it gave me the like kind of historical context of drag as like an artistic expression and a mm-hmm. like a a form of protest um while also like kind of almost like building up this local community of of people who are also new to drag like have never done it have never thought about doing it or just now like considering it um and so i started to get more like involved with it and I I created my persona which is the American nightmare mm-hmm. um and it's it's uh through my drag I think it is also my main outlet for my political expressions um like my persona is is kind of based on what we were just talking about this like idea of like the capitalist like grind all the time we need to be working mm-hmm. um of this idea that like we need to be consuming all the time um of uh, really of of just the way that like american colonialism has like taken over our minds and made us believe that we're not good enough and that we're abnormal we're wrong. That's something I really strongly try to fight against because that's the tricky thing with like these systems of oppression. 
that we have to understand is they exist externally uh, Mm -hmm. on a larger scale, but they also affect us individually and we can't just like try to ignore that. Um, Also, but also I think we can't like invalidate the, the experience of, of people's or people's individual experiences. Um, For me, I I have a giant mental health pet peeve, which is uh, whenever I meet a new therapist or a new, like anything related in the mental health sphere, um, when they find out I'm transgender, they're always like, okay, so I see you're transgender and I see that your little, that your record, you know, has all these diagnoses and they always seem to come to this like preconceived conclusion that I'm, I'm depressed because of my transness or sometimes they're like more um, well-meaning and they're like, they think that Mm -hmm. I'm depressed because of the way the world treats me for being trans, which is Mm -hmm. like, it's not, I'm, I'm not happy about it. It's not great. But mm-hmm. my my own depression and, and mental health and, and trauma is like so much more than that. And to be reduced to have everything that I'm like struggling with in therapy and stuff reduced to one single aspect of my identity that I feel that is very misunderstood in the mental health community at large is very like demeaning, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I love that you're using your drag as like a political statement. Um, I think that's amazing. And hopefully once we're back, you know, to doing things in person, we can all come see you perform. (laughs) I was actually the day before the lockdown started Mm -hmm. in, um, in San Jose, uh, I was going to do uh, like a a drag show, which was going to be the first, the second ever drag show that I'd done like mm. as my persona but sadly that did not pan oh. out but oh. <laughs> hopefully when stuff opens back up again then yeah. yeah that's awesome from this whole pandemic do you feel like your mental health has been affected or impacted in any way so personally like I do but maybe not in the way that other people's has Cause I know a lot of almost everyone is feeling the, like the kind of isolation hit extroverts, obviously like it's a massive hit, but also like people who are introverted still need that connection. And mm-hmm. I consider myself like maybe a social introvert, like because connecting with other people is really, really important to me. But also if they're people that's not, that aren't in my like l- l- close sphere, it's tiring Mm -hmm. but in a way i think the positive side of the pandemic and everything and just everything that has happened with it is that it's kind of forced me to realize that i can't i can't do everything that i like think that i should be able to do sometimes I was one of those people who like when the pandemic started, I was like, I'm going to learn like 20 different languages and <laughs> I'm going to f- start cooking banana yeah. bread and like 
all this stuff. What actually mm-hmm. happened was I just kind of like a lot of time watching Netflix and stuff. Yeah. And I, I think it was good though, because it, it kind of forced me to confront that there's not any shame in not being able to function perfectly in an not only imperfect, but just kind of like depressing situation. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, especially now it's like, it shouldn't be seen as like a, um, an abnormal thing to, to be struggling with your mental health in a situation mm-hmm. that's just like so many layers of like, how could you not? like yeah <laughs> be having a hard time right now right mm-hmm. yeah I think it's interesting there's like two sides of the coin where it's like one side it's like let's make the best of it and then the other side it's like how are we yeah like you said how are we supposed to be doing everything we were do- doing before but like at home like that's not possible <laughs> like it's just not realistic but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's hard speaking of mental health if you could tell your younger self something about your mental health what would it be I have a lot of like feelings and and things that I would share because like it it re- it's only been relatively recently that I've I've tried to look at my younger self with the compassion that I that I try to give other people because it's so easy for me and probably for like a lot of other folks like we can look at somebody else who's in pain and, and struggling and it's almost like we have this innate desire to help them and to try to ease their burden. But then for ourselves, when we're in pain and we're struggling, it's so easy to be like, Oh, just get over it. I have like mm-hmm. this horrible voice in my head. That's just always like chattering away and like stuff that like, I wouldn't ever say to other people yet I feel compelled to say to myself, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I would, I would say so much stuff to my younger self, just that it, it, it's not your fault that you're feeling this way. And it's not, it's not a reflection on you that the people around you, the adults that were supposed to be protecting you are, are a lot of times actively causing you harm that, that it's okay to to feel isolated, but that it doesn't have to be that way. That that there are people out there that I hate the I hate saying it gets better so much because it's so cliche. And my younger self would have just rolled their eyes and just ugh. But but it does. It it there is hope. There is always hope sometimes that hope is not a shiny Instagrammable version of hope. Sometimes that hope is I am going to make it through the night just for this one night, just because of some, sometimes when I'm really having a hard time, it'll just be like the, the one thing that gets me going through the hard times when no noble and like poetic reason does is just like that it would be so 
disappointing to see all those people that like had that didn't believe in me to like make them to give them the satisfaction of me like not being happy that I, yeah. that would just make me so mad <laughs> <laughs> and i think sometimes it's okay to be like a little bit petty like that almost everything i do in a way is like an extension of of how i want to to reach out to my younger self and prevent anyone else from from going through what i went through or through through something worse i think it's great that you mentioned hope because i think a lot of times hope isn't something that's always visible but it's Mm -hmm. there it's it's always there it's um even if it's hard to see so um and i think one of the things about hope is knowing that there's something positive about having a mental illness it's not always something that's bad or scary so i'm curious what's something positive that you found about having a mental illness a lot um immediately the like from what we were just talking about it's kind of morbid but having spent so much time considering suicide i have realized all the stuff that that my anxious brain wants to fixate on oh my god this person hates me oh my god i'm like going to be late oh my god what if this homework assignment like gets a bad grade it doesn't matter. It, it mm-hmm. like all this stuff that I like make myself feel so terrible over. It doesn't matter. It's and, and that I have more power than I realized to, to, I have more control over my own destiny than I, I sometimes realize. And that other people do too. Everyone, even when we feel stuck and trapped in like, situations we all have the power to control our own fate in ways that are sometimes small but we still do have that that ability i think struggling with these kinds of things has made me much more empathetic because i again i i just i if i want to prevent anybody else from feeling as badly as I did. I'm also a big fan of the neurodivergency model of thinking about um, a lot of the things that like we might um, medicalize or like conceptualize as, um, as defects or deficiencies are really not, they're just differences um, mm-hmm. that, like every everything kind of has multiple ways you can look at it and that there are a lot of like not fun aspects of what what happens for me in terms of my mental health but also like i think i i look at the world in a way that other people can't because of the experiences painful as they have been those experiences have shaped me to like have a unique insight about the world around me that like is irreplaceable. And Mm -hmm. like, I think, especially when we talk about trauma, there's this idea that we're broken, that the thing that's happened to us happened to us. It was inflicted upon us and it damaged us. And that 
that now something in us is flawed and that we our our worth has somehow diminished and that's just not true at all like i i know a lot of folks myself included that that struggle with mental health often are like for me it's like sometimes when i'm like i can't get out of bed i must be so lazy because look at all these other people like i don't know going around and writing novels and lifting weights and i don't know whatever <laughs> success is but like <laughs> the the adversity that i ha- have had to overcome just to be standing or laying in bed like <laughs> is that is my strength and like it, it it might not present in the same way that somebody else's does but i still have strength and i'm stronger than i know and mm-hmm. like when you have to like fight so hard just to do like the little things that that like that's so admirable i i think we don't give those folks enough credit because like every day that you are like staying alive is an act of resistance is an act of like joy and pride and defiance of all the the adversity that has tried to to hurt you and to silence you and that's so beautiful that's so just that's so impactful and mm-hmm. to never let anyone else take that away from you or to make you feel less than because like you you have survived all of the things that you thought you couldn't that you thought would be the end of you and you, yet you are still here surviving in whatever way or form that may be. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautifully said. <laughs> and I think we can end on that because I don't think there's anything that can top what you just said. Um, but truly, I, I think that's so it's, yeah, it shows so much strength to get through any trauma or any mental health issue, big or small, like, yeah, it takes a lot of strength and courage and it's, yeah, it's great. Um, so on that note, I do want to give you the floor to, to provide us with some more beautiful spoken poetry. So um, feel free to introduce the pieces. And if you want to give some background, you can, if not, that's okay too. But, um, but yeah, the floor is yours to, to let us listen to that, to the poetry. <laughs> so um, this one is actually pretty similar to the other one that I read before. Um, this one was specifically written for, I think 2019 um, trans day of remembrance, which is uh I don't know if it's considered a holiday or, or, but um, it's a day in November, I believe that uh, the trans community and their allies um, hold space for trans folks who were victims of homicide and transphobic violence. Um, I participate in a lot of vigils um, and it's, 
it's a day of, of grief. Um, so this was a poem about that. There is nothing beautiful about murder. Perhaps the absence of life, the separation of the soul from the body, perhaps that is beautiful. But there is nothing pretty about a crime scene, about an empty bed. When the blood pours out of a gunshot wound, it does not spill into the shape of a flower to give to the victim's mother to console her. When a policeman's gun is emptied of its magazine, the space where its final bullet should be does not resemble the evening sky. When flesh is pulled from bone, it does not sound like the gospel. It sounds like decay. We keep candles on our bedside tables. We whisper each other's names in the dark. When we walk, we carry our wishes in one pocket, our regrets in the other. We go to sleep with our obituaries under our pillows, knowing that any day could be our last. Seeing our own faces in the news, our own death dates foretold, we imagine our nameless graves. Our tombstones will not read rest in peace. We will not be restful nor peaceful. For we have lived in silence. We have played the part of the servant. We know all too well the feeling of contorting our bodies to make room for others, destroying our, ourselves for the pleasure of those who would revel in our fall. Our obedience does not serve us well. We are rewarded for our servitude with violence, with terror. But we know the joy of rebellion. We create ourselves out of the wreckage of the labels we have shed. We know the pride of Genesis. And we, we are gender rebels. We are artists. We are warriors. We are square pegs and round holes. We are not flowers. Our beauty is not one that you can hold, for it does not belong to you. We are diamonds, forged underground. The earth weighs on us, but we take it in stride. It is part of our luster, our shine. We are diamonds. Reflecting the light you give us, we split it into fractals, patterns beyond your comprehension. Still the same, but still so different. We are diamonds, unbreakable, uncrushable. You cannot kill a people who have built themselves. The voice of doubt whispers in our ear once again. We ignore him. Our demons do not own us anymore. I feel like I should share a third one just because my, the two that I shared were so similar. Okay. Um, the like set of the poems I have are the more political ones. So this one is also political. It's um, it was written uh, after the the shooting in in Atlanta. Um, and the just the anti-Asian violence in general. Um, and it's called The Poem I Didn't Get to Tell because I was going to tell it at a um, rally, but they wouldn't, they didn't have enough time for me to finish. <laughs> I have spent the, my whole life with apologies on my tongue and the grip of trauma on my shoulders. I've spent my whole life accustomed to the boot on my neck or the chains that surround you even real when everyone tells you they don't exist. You told us that staying quiet could save us, so we erased all our stories, we changed our names, still it was never enough to save us. And I, I am the product of the camps you put us in, the portrait you painted of my people, yes, I am the monster under your bed, the plague coming to ruin you. 
So why were you surprised when my first words were no, no, I will not be silent. No, I will not be your model minority. Because you showed up after the day the news broke with hands on your guns and condescending laughter on your faces, but we did not ask for your so-called protection. You sold us tragedy and called liberation. You spat in our faces and demanded we thank you. You are so quick to defend the shooter and damn the victims. But this poem cannot be about your hypocrisy, about how it took six murders to get you to listen to us when we have been shouting for years. About how you feign surprise at the news story when you were the ones to mock our names, to pull your eyes at me and call me a racial slur one day, then tweet hashtag stop Asian hate the next. About how you gentrified activism. Even in death, we are not safe from colonization. After I step off this stage, you will find me in the crowd and tell me what a gifted speaker I am. But I need to tone it down a bit. Don't want to alienate anyone. God forbid our murders inconvenience you. You will separate the policemen in my poems from yourself. You will tell yourself that you're one of the good ones. You're here after all, and you don't have to be. So let me worship at the gift of your presence. Let me pick my next words carefully so as to not upset your fragile ego. You are doing the bare minimum. I mean, thank you for your retweets and your performative gestures. Thank you for saying the names of the women from Atlanta and not the names of the women from San Jose who you routinely harass, the women who you objectify because you feel entitled to their bodies, because you see us as nothing but a fetish, a disposable toy. I'm sorry you had a bad day. And thank you for driving a wedge between us for keeping us trapped in the idea that our liberation can come if we please you enough. Am I pleasing you enough? Thank you for tearing our families apart. Thank you for arresting our community supports. Thank you for spending our money on bullets and not classrooms so we are stuck with textbooks that do not represent us. Thank you for placing me between my queerness and my heritage, for injecting your poison into our narrative once again. Either I get told by a date how exotic I am for being Japanese, or I get told by a date how exotic I am for being transgender. Either way, I am nothing but an empty shell of a body. To my community, to my elders, my ancestors, and the ones who gave me life. To the youth, the ones who will come after me, the change makers. There will be no white savior to ride in and save us from the prison that he himself created. We cannot rely on our abusers, the policeman, the politician, the shooter, for our liberation. We must create our own path to justice. Thank you. That was, again, amazing. Before you go, um, I just want to thank you again for being so open and honest about your story and your poetry and your journey. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, just want people to know that you're here. And if they want to learn more about you, um, would you mind sharing your social media handle once again? Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. at Queer American Nightmare. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex. And I hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and giving me the space to share my voice. Of course. Yeah, anytime. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
The To Be Honest campaign was created by Momentum for Health and is sponsored by District 4 Inventory Funds, thanks to Supervisor Susan Ellenberg and Republic Urban Properties. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Avery Cruz, as well as edited by Peyton Delahaye. Music for the episode was made by Julia Steele. Thank you so much for tuning in as we continue to share stories of youth and young adults throughout the Bay Area who have personal experience with behavioral health issues. If you have a personal story or experience you'd like to share on the podcast, please email us at tbh.today at gmail.com. To learn more about the To Be Honest campaign and the podcast, we encourage you to visit our website, www.tobehonest.today, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at tobehonest.today. All this information is also in the show notes, so we look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye.